Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Lily Thomas, and welcome to the Theater Podcast with Alan Seals. Hey everyone, welcome to an all new episode of the Theater Podcast. I'm Alan Seals, and this is Intimate Personal Conversations with the Industry's Biggest Names. Our guest today is Lily Thomas, who is making her Broadway debut as Mama Morton, the first Asian American to ever play the role. And uh, not only is she making history for the show, she's making history for herself. And uh, it's all becoming full circle because Chicago was the show uh, that she was listening to as a child that got her into loving musical theater. And then to make her Broadway debut in the show that got her into theater and make history at the same time, it's just this perfect storm of of amazing, awesome sauce. So uh, there you go. Something super fun that she mentions is because the show is such a machine, it's been running for so long, and now um, with Phantom having closed, it is the longest-running show on Broadway right now. It's a machine that that cycles people through all the time on purpose as casts are changing, and she was saying that she met some of her castmates for the first time while on stage for her first show. <laughs> kind of insane, but just a testament to how good these people are. So I'll let her tell this story. Before we get into it, find me on the socials and connect with me. Leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. And now I hope you enjoy this episode with Lily Thomas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our guest today, most recently, just ended her leg of the Dear Evan Hansen first national tour, playing the role of Cynthia Murphy. Before that, she appeared in Dave Malloy's pre-Broadway run of Octet and has other off-boy credits, including We're Gonna Die, The Hello Girls, and Only Human. She is now making history in her Broadway debut, being the first Asian-American to play the role of Mama Morton in Chicago on Broadway. Not Broadway in Chicago. I don't know. Lily Thomas, <laughs> welcome to the Theater Podcast. Ah, thank you for having me. <laughs> Dude, uh, I think I saw, I can't remember, one of the very, very, very first shows I ever saw as a little, as a little lad, my mom took my brother and me to see Chicago in I want to say Toronto, but then we also saw something in Chicago that I'm like, I get it all confused. I can't remember if I saw Chicago in Toronto or a show called Toronto in Chicago. <laughs> you know, there are so many casts. There have been so many casts of Chicago um, that they've mounted the show like all around the world. So the chances are that you saw it somewhere. <laughs> oh, it's been going on forever. And yes, that's, I mean, I guess. That's actually uh, probably, uh, well, okay, no, I was going to say it's a great place to start, but no, I don't want to start there because we're going to get into that. <laughs> um, so this is actually, our conversation right now is actually like um, conversation part two, because I had the very, very fortunate pleasure of interviewing you already back in uh, February when yeah. you were still doing um uh, Dear Evan Hansen, the tour, because I was it was on my other podcast, Was It Chance, with my yes. co-host, Heather Vickery. Love so, her. For those listening now, Was It Chance is the name of the podcast. Episode 34, released February 28th, 2023. So go back and get even more Lily, because <laughs> it's 
I'll try not to repeat myself. <laughs> well, I was listening to the other episode to prepare for this one, and I was like, there's so much we could like cover again and dive into. But um, just real quick, I know we already went into this in the other episode, but just for the listeners here who haven't heard the other one yet, let's real, real quick talk about, give us the abridged summary of growing up with your two very successful uh, musician parents. Yeah, well, it's actually four because they divorced when I was young and remarried other musicians. So I have four <laughs> musician parents. Um, no, and it's funny because I, I said this, but it's sort of like musical theater was the big rebellion because they're classical musicians, you know? So like this was as wild as I could get with like st still staying in the world. I guess rock and roll, I could have gone that route, but um, but you know, they wouldn't let me listen to it enough for me to have enough inspiration. Um, no, but my mother's a pianist. My father's a cellist. My stepmother is a violist. She's the principal violist of the New York Philharmonic. And my stepfather is a renowned French horn player. We had a lot of music in the house and um, they are just insanely supportive. My youngest sister is also a cellist who actually, just after I did the podcast with you guys in February, ended up joining us on the tour. Really? Yes, as our cellist for Dear Evan Hansen because we were losing our cellist. I said, oh wait, I know one. Um, and she had been on tour with Waitress, so she knew the whole... She knew that she knew what she was doing. Um, and it was so amazing to have my sister come join me. She's also a musical theater composer. So we've got a lot of a lot of music in the family. That's cool. That is very cool. Uh, and it was interesting because you said like your mom, your I think it was your biological mom, um, grew up in, like came over to the U.S. when she was 15 on like this yeah. massive scholarship and everything. And like her never learned to ride a bike because that would je <laughs> jeopardize breaking her fingers. fingers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, she she also was here by herself. And it was sort of like at that age to be given the special permission to leave a country, which at the time you really did have to have special permission to do. She was just a diligent student, you know? I mean, every extra hour that she had was spent practicing and they would drive her. She went to a, a boarding school in Connecticut. They would drive her personally into the city every weekend to go to Juilliard Prep. Wow. She only applied to Juilliard did her bachelor's there and her master's. And she just sort of, there were moments when, you know, when I was growing up where she said, oh, well, I never did that, you know? So so we have the cross-cultural element there, but also this element of extreme discipline sort of just ingrained in her. Was it hard for you, and I, I'm taking this question from, I'm gonna jump in around, I'm taking this question from this wonderful uh, feature of you ah! in, in Playbill, right? <laughs> so I'm looking at the Chicago Playbill. Yeah, and you've got this full this whole uh, full page thing um, with questions and stuff, because uh, one of the questions you were asked was like, tell me about a job opportunity you really wanted and didn't get. And I'll, I'll let you go into the details of it, but to, to summarize, it was like, basically it was based on just looks, things you can't, practice things you can't yeah. control uh, to an extent right mm -hmm. uh, that that prevented you from getting what you really wanted and coming from this uh, so i want to talk about that for a second but then relating it to your mom and your parents who were just like they could practice all this waking time was like uh, perfecting a skill to be judged and prevented to get what you want based on something that is completely unrelated to a skill um, how did how did that sort of work into your psyche and and shape where you were going? That was really difficult. I think because you know I wasn't. I don't think I was so much taught to work hard as I as I just saw it exemplified, you know, in my parents. And it was just sort of um, to feel at the end of a road where there was nothing that you could do, you know, because it's always just like, well, work harder, well, make more connections, well, do these things, and. Um, and it also came at a time where I was having a lot of difficulty or maybe not difficulty, but I, it was a, a new time for me in terms of coming to some sort of understanding of my racial identity. And and I think that being at this um, crossroads or <laughs> crossroaded dead end, I guess, if we're going <laughs> to go with that analogy, <laughs> to feel um, like my appearance and my looks and my race and my identification in a way was a part of this dead end when I had just known the world to be like, well, if you work hard, you can make anything happen. It was a very complicated thing to deal with at such a young age and and really started a very much a much needed journey of sort of self-racial exploration, if you will. 
you know, and, and, and not all of those dead ends or those no's came with something to do with race. You know, some of them were body issues or some of them were, you know, um, I've always had a little bit of a older air. And I think based on the past few parts, it's safe to say it's still there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think being younger and not being able to, not really being an ingenue type and being more of a older, mature type was also, you know, something that I wasn't anticipating. So lots of like different ways, things that happened that made me look at myself and say, okay, wait a minute. So what, what am I appearing like from the outside? And that, that is, you know, a place that's not, that's sort of uncomfortable for anybody to live. Did you talk about that with your parents at all or with your mom specifically? No, I, mean, I didn't. I feel like she would come, uh, or I, I guess w coming to America and what was this? This was in the uh, 70s. The 70s, 70s, yeah. Right, coming to America in the 70s as an Asian, a 15-year-old Asian girl. Yes. There had to have been so much stigma and issues that she had to deal with. Um, of course. Right? And, you know, I think that it's this interesting thing that I've um, talked to some other people that I know whose parents are, you know, who's, who people like me who are first generation whose, whose parents or one parent um, is somebody who came here from another country. There, especially during that time, there was this like extreme desire to Americanize, yeah. you know? And, and so I think that there was also subconsciously a little bit of a, um, a neglect for the culture that, she came from and i'm sure also you know coming over here to be a classical musician there that's the stigma right there too you know so like living in that um you know i think that you know, she came here she married a white man and she wanted to be american she wanted to soak up everything and every opportunity she did not go back she did not want to go back hmm. um there, you know, her other, she's one of five, all her other siblings are over there, her family's still there. She actually just got back from Korea today. And, you know, but, but there was, I think in terms of the life she wanted to build for herself, she really wanted to embrace being American and take advantage of this opportunity. And in doing so, subconsciously let go of um, maybe passing down those traditions and relating to identifying as a Korean woman. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it was also, it was really hard for me to put into words, to be honest, until I read this book, Crying in H Mart. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm -mm. It's this unbelievable book that is being turned into a major motion picture. I read this book and I, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this, this girl who grew up in Oregon, who has a Korean mother from Korea and a white father from America is explaining exactly what my childhood was like. I don't speak English. I kind of understand these words. I don't necessarily know how to translate them, but I understand what they mean. And it happens to like, I, I need subtitles to watch a Korean show on Netflix, but there are many times where I'll look at the subtitles and I say, oh, that's not what that means. That's not really what that means. I don't know what the right words would be, but it's like, there are certain things that I notice now. Oh, I think I'm a little more Korean than I gave myself credit for being just, you know, by absorbing things. But my mother, um, you know, there wasn't much conversation at home about identifying as a mixed race kid or a Korean girl. I think I, I grew up thinking I was white until I was maybe like 16, you know? <laughs> wow. Wait, wait. So you, where, what region did you grow up in? I grew up in New York. Yeah, grew, yeah, so I guess around here you sort of had that the melting potness of this area, right? Because yeah, there wasn't so much of like, oh, I look different because there were a lot of, you know, I don't know, really. Also, this is like the '90s. We didn't really talk about it so much, you no, know. Like no. uh, the conversations my kids are having at school now, I'm just fascinated by how aware they are. Oh, absolutely, and it's completely normal and commonplace too. My kids too. They're like they're in kindergarten. There's affinity groups now for like they're encouraging kindergarten for second graders to be like, if you if you want to be another the opposite sex from what you were assigned yeah. at birth go for it we support you right like, all these conversations I, that 
would blow my mind to have when I was that age. And even like in high school would have blown my mind to yeah. have, you know, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's a combination of, of the times and it's, and also, you know, having a mother who really, really embraced her transition into becoming an American. Do you talk to your kids about about race and being partially we, Asian and stuff? We do, and also especially because they're so they're a quarter Korean. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I have, you know, I think in my older age, embraced a lot of my sort of identity as a Korean woman at home in terms of cooking and in terms of the way that we, you know, treat our environment. Um, and so I think that my kids identify more as Korean than I did at their age. But the, the actually the interesting um, issue that we've run into is that they have to explain how and why they're Korean because they look so white. <laughs> it's just like this opposite issue that they come home with where, um, you know, Annabelle, my daughter was told, oh, but like, you know, my this question was for an Asian kid. And, and she said, well, well, I'm Asian. And some kid told her basically that she wasn't Asian enough to be considered Asian. And that was the big heart hurt of the day. And I just thought, wow, this is really amazing how this coin has flipped. Um, Weird. Yeah. And actually very, uh, I guess, apropos to talk about, you know, that situation we were talking about a little while ago about, you know, you not getting the roles when, when you're at this pivotal crossroads in your life too, because you you were saying in this uh, Playbill article that you were down to three, it was three different callbacks for three different Broadway shows, all of which for one reason, because you were either like you didn't, you weren't thin enough or you weren't Asian enough or you weren't something enough. Right. And, well, and so now, so that that's career, right? That's, in, that's actually life changing. I guess I'm not saying that words aren't life changing. Of course they are. But your daughter being not being able to answer a question is a little bit less, I guess, of course, less high stakes. <laughs> the, the stakes are a little different, <laughs> you know, middle school, Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so do you talk to her then about that? You're like, look, listen, this is what you're gonna have to go through probably your whole life just because well, this is the I, world we're in. I don't know if I've actually I don't believe that I've told my kids that story because I think that the industry's different now. I like I really would like to believe that that is something that they won't face. I hope so. And I have to say that I'm seeing it in casting. You know, I'm seeing this uh, you know, a lot of people call this a shift and I sort of like to think of it as like a breaking down of walls and and I'm seeing the proof in the pudding. So I how long that's going to stick around? Is it going to grow? Is it going to dissipate? I don't know. But I just feel really lucky to be around for it and to be a part of it. And especially as someone, you know, I just got off of Dear Evan Hansen with a lot of younger actors. And this is the world that they're coming into. They haven't faced, you know, the decade of suppression that I feel like I faced. And, mm -hmm. um, and so... There's part of me that's sort of like, oh, they had no idea how bad it was. But there's also part of me that's like, wow, I'm I'm so lucky that I experienced both so I can really appreciate what's happening now. You know, like mm -hmm. this this thing, getting cast in this role in particular means so much more to me because of the way that I was limited beforehand, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I agree with that too and I think it's sort of a double-edged sword is that you have this generation now the the criticism of this generation come you know these young people that are like they go into the world and expect everything to be handed to them oh which, yeah <laughs> which is bad in one sense good in another in that they don't uh hold themselves back based mm -hmm. on things like like how they look they're just like all right give it to me now this is what i want and i think they're again double-edged sword yes take it for what it's worth <laughs> everyone needs to work hard okay yeah have a good work ethic but no don't let your appearance hold you back because and you don't judge and like you know don't judge yourself there are yeah. enough people in this industry judging you so sometimes i, I look at these younger performers and i'm, I'm i just admire them so much for their their sense of self and their identity, man, I had none of that because I was just like, oh my God, what can I do to get you to like me or see me? Whereas, you know, 
they, they're here and they're like, this is who I am. Take <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, the kids right now, they're just like, this is who I am. This is great. You know, I'm going to go Cause there. Because there's a place for everybody right now, you know, and the communities that have come out to support everybody and every choice you're going to make. You know, it's sort of like, oh, it makes me wonder, like, what kind of gut instinct would I have gone with about myself at one point if I felt like somebody else saw me? <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. And and now the kids and like, you're gonna you're gonna get to a point where, you know, you're you're a coach and you're a teacher, too. So you're gonna start making I mean, if you haven't already been like making casting choices that are, are colorblind and and gender uh, what's the word I'm not gender blind? Is that a is that a phrase? What am I looking for? Oh, um, irrelevant. Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just irrelevant. Like, you know, why can't in Hamilton? Why can't some of the founding fathers be women? I would love yeah. to see that. Totally. You know? Anyway. Absolutely. But um, Chicago, I want to go back to Chicago because I remember you saying uh, in our other interview that it was the re it's the show that you fell in love with that made you want to do Broadway. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is all full circle now that you're making your, your Broadway debut in your first love of Broadway. You know, my I had a cousin who called me when I got the job and he was like, wait a minute, Lil, like that show that you made us listen to all summer <laughs> the summer of you know like 97 the whole summer that you did cell block tango in the living room every day <laughs> he's like that show you're gonna be in <laughs> i'm such a candor and eb girl i love candor and eb i love fossey you know i i used to dance a lot and and fossey was always just fascinating to me and damn yankees was actually the first broadway show i ever saw mm. and i just sort of fell in love with that traditional and it's so vaudevillian too which which like is such a great introduction to theater i just loved everything about it these these like murderous broads these these no limits no rules women you know, I'm sure like subconsciously there was something there of like these these women who don't even need their men that they kill them. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, um, I loved it. And when I got this call, um, when I got the submission request, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they have the right person. You know, I, I did ask my agent. I was like, was this, was this for me actually? <laughs> because especially Mama Morton, I was like, oh, I, I don't think that you want me for that. And I just have had been having so much fun with her. And especially when when my agent said, no, no, this is accurate. And like, don't try to be anybody else or what you've seen before. And just kind of like say, what would Lily do with it? And to have that kind of freedom with such a iconic character and such an iconic show, which also like, you know, I been listening to the music for years and mm. have heard a million different renditions of. So it's, I sort of had to like wipe it all from my memory drive and think to myself, okay, what are like just at the base, what are these qualities in this character and how does that align with me? And that was fun. That was the fun part. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on everybody, we're just gonna take a quick break. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. All right, now we're back. Well, okay, dive into that then, because uh, obviously Mama Morton's got some questionable values, um, yeah. but, but obviously I would say she cares very much about about her and the her uh, her her renters, her tenants, um, her chickies, her chickies. Yeah, like where did you find the common ground with somebody who? Again, has questionable moral values, but seems to be like they think they're. Doing well, listen, the right everybody thing. in this show has questionable moral values, so we kind of have right. to like put that at the baseline of everything and say, okay, from there, where did these characters live? You know, there. And to go back to the to the Asian woman, you know, stigma that we were talking about, there is something about being the first Asian woman to play this part in particular that was really fun to me for me, and that is that most most character leading characters that have been either written 
as Asian or open to being cast as Asian have sort of fallen a little bit more in line with with the Asian female stigma in theater, which is more of an ingenue, more polite, more demure, a little more soft-spoken. And, you know, I, I never really felt like I fell in that. I, I remember years and years ago, maybe it was the revival of Anything Goes with Sutton Foster. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, oh God, like, you know, I'd love to play that role. I was, I just graduated college, you know, it was just like a little dreamer. Um, but I did go in for hope. And I thought to myself, well, that's not me at all. You know, why would they call me in for hope? And I think it's, that's a, just a great example of like the type of character that was starting to open up to Asian American actors that didn't feel so like in line with the kind of performer I am. Mama Morton is brassy. She's sassy. She's got this like really lower growl well my version at least <laughs> really lower growly deep voice um she's in charge she's assertive she's all these things that kind of play a little bit against that stereotype that we're more used to seeing yeah and that was just to be able to just to be given that permission to like lean into my ethnicity and my heritage in combination with those characteristics I just felt like that was the first time that I I was really handed that on a platter and told to play and told to go for it with with that combination and that was has just been so much fun and continues to be fun as I explore the character. I I actually really really enjoy that and I think it's very cool that you know you're kind of given free reign to to bring yourself to it without playing a stereotype like you're playing you're playing the character the character is strong the character is brass brash uh brash brass brash, both brash, <laughs> brass yeah. brassy brash yes. <laughs> but the character is a tuba no um <laughs> no it's it's a strong it's a very strong character and the, and even to like the women of the cell block there's no the length the choreography the storyline um even the the lyrics like there's nothing that requires any race out of anybody yeah. um there's there's the hungarian for for because you need the accent mm -hmm. um which christine quartersmith is not hungarian whatsoever <laughs> um, but her hungarian accent is amazing yeah um so that's one thing that requires a certain ethnic spin but everything else in the show could be I guess, I mean, just look at Arlo, right? Like, yeah. everything is not as it seems, and mm -hmm. that's by design. I think you're right. This show has lasted forever because it speaks to a lot of people on a lot of levels and gives you representation in a way that maybe you're not consciously perceiving because the story doesn't require any particular type of person. Well, which, yes, and which is also why this this sort of unique casting style of Chicago where people are in and they're out and they're changing. And like you go to go see two shows, you will most likely not see the same two cats, uh, same cast twice. Yeah. I don't know if I, I've done the show really so much with the same cast twice since I've been there. There, the, the covers are unbelievable. Every, and everybody is encouraged to bring themselves to these characters, which is why every time that you have a new, and when you have a celebrity come in, you know, it's like these actors can come in and say okay this is the skeleton of what i'm gonna do but like all of the extra stuff is is unique to every different person and it is so encouraged and i love that about this about the show and think that it is a huge reason why it's lasted so long because it's ever changing you know it's 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 it it doesn't even have the opportunity to get stale because there's some new quality brought to each character um, every time somebody comes in. When did this revival open? It was 97, I think? 97 yeah. at Encores and transferred. Um, and it is the longest running revival yeah. in history. Well, now that Phantom closed, it's the longest running show. Show currently on currently, Broadway. Yeah. How does the how does the translation work? I guess, you know, communicating the same thing over and over and over again is a game of telephone. But now, like, Bob Fosse obviously is no longer with us. You don't get to get, you know, a put-in with the original director. So when... <laughs> or a put-in, period. But, yeah. <laughs> Wait, really? They're just like, all right, go. And action, go? <laughs> it is... Um, it, you know what? It's a, such a well-oiled machine. They really know how to put people in and out of the show. They, But you rehearse by yourself with the stage manager and the dance captain. Uh, okay. And then... 
And then you get to the your opening day, your opening night, and like 45 minutes before rehearsal, you run through your scenes with the few people you interact with, and that's it. What? <laughs> so like my opening night, I'm sitting on stage watching... Um, you know, watching we both reach for the gun and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh crap, I gotta I gotta actually be present. But like you don't see any of that move around with that not even you don't move around with those bodies on stage. It's incredible. I mean, and it is a whirlwind. But yeah, that 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 opening night, your first performance is a first of many. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you remember? I mean, I guess you remember your opening night, right? I mean you have to, but that opening night where you're you're getting to watch the show because you're everyone's basically on stage you know on the right. sides of the stage the entire show in the chairs so you're getting to watch these other people that i didn't realize you hadn't previously seen i hadn't even met half of them you know like i'm on stage with them i was like hi what's your name <laughs> <laughs> really yeah this is wow i had no clue okay so you're on stage you're watching the show that was the reason you got into broadway as you're on stage making your broadway debut did you did any of this click in the moment oh completely it clicked and just like you know knocked me out i think i just i was i i do remember it as a full event but there's there's so I also had so many people there and I was like, I can't believe you're watching this show. This is like just me trying to get my shoes on here. Um, but it was just so exhilarating. Everybody was so supportive, you know, and they've the ensemble especially has done this so many times because yeah. the, the ensemble doesn't change as frequently as the as the principals do. And so, you know. A little hand on the back to help you get in the right place a little bit of this a little bit of that everybody is amazing and um there was a little bit of lily and you know i have to say every night when i watch charlotte do roxy there is like a full lily thomas geeking out over what i am witnessing that close she is incredible it's like a master class every night so you know i mean like of, of course i stay in character but i just enjoy watching the show mm -hmm. it's so good you know and and just to be able to put all of this experience with like all of this history of love for the show together has been you know just you can't you can't make that up you can't buy that <laughs> that's really cool that it's all it's all come together and and you're right being able to watch someone like charlotte uh that close up right and and I think it's kind of cool when when people uh, get to watch others, like in when you're staged in a way where you are literally just sitting and watching, and you have to like sit there and watch in character. But there's still like you know you can sort of take the wall down a little little bit as Lily. Or, it's sort of like a half character because it's kind right. of like this like this troop kind of Pippiny right. idea, you know, where you're where you're all up there just sort of like giving that focus, but you're not in the scene. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's cool because everyone's like. I guess you're given the blocking to either like in this scene there's specifically you're paying attention or you're ignoring them right mm -hmm. because from... like in amos's in cellophane we're all instructed to turn away yeah. yeah so that nobody has noticed him yeah and I even told, the people on stage i was noticing that it's like everybody everybody just turned away mm -hmm. just like, you know looking down and doing the and paying not paying attention to amos again. right uh, that's when i introduced myself to people on the opening <laughs> night <laughs> <laughs> you reach every yeah, day. I turn. Hey, hey, we're on stage. I'm Lily. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Uh, uh, real quick, too. I just wanna, I wanna shout out my love for Terrence Mann as well. Um, oh, uh, incredible. Uh, Charlotte's husband. The two of them. The two of them together are such this power couple. And really, I'm in love with Foundation right now on Apple Plus, Apple oh, TV. You know, Apple TV. I, I really have to watch it. It's, it's, it's hard to like have enough um, energy to watch a whole episode or something when I get home, but, but I've got to watch it because I hear it's amazing. It is, it is, it's good. And Terrence, of course, is is awesome. Of course. Um, but yeah, that that's so cool. So the the way that the the casts rotate through, I guess the leads rotate through, and are you sort of in favor of this now because well I, I don't know what i'm trying to go for because when um tourists come like tourists are the ones who really keep musicals going i think mm -hmm. because local new yorkers are going to see a musical once and they'll but they see every play because they're a local and they can and plays are limited runs 
Yeah. And but musicals, in theory, you want to run forever. And because of the cast album, people come with an idea of what the character should sound like and who they should be, right? And so for something like Chicago that has had so many iterations and been going for so long, is there, I guess, are you finding that people are, I guess, well, that's two, two parts of this question. First one is, are you, are you finding that people are expecting something different based on their preconceived expectations and maybe even the movie? And then the other part was what I was getting to originally was like the fact that shows like into the woods in Chicago and things are doing this like sort of leads rotation on a more frequent basis. Do you think that's a good thing? I think that it depends. I think that with a musical that's been around for so long that that um, aspect of refreshing it and reinventing it and keeping it new is, is a good idea because it keeps the whole piece fresh. You know, I mean, Anything staying stagnant will get stale at some point. And so I think that it's fun. I also, you know, what I was saying about being able to sort of like add layers to the characters depending on who's come in. And I'm I'm sure there's subconsciously things that I've seen from previous Mama Mortons that are just ingrained into my brain of, of a characteristic that really is in the play somewhere that I probably can't find in the script, you know? So I think it's this thing of like continuously having these opportunities to add to these characters into the art that's really fun i think that it's um but that doesn't necessarily apply to like a new show you know i think a new show coming in having that one year contract and having that whole year to really like develop what the piece is Hmm. you know chicago had that and these pieces that have constantly revived why are they revived you know like what what are we doing that's new what are we saying with the material that's new. That's why you revive something, right? Just to make a point and to say something important. So it does sometimes take those new, those fresh eyes on something. And and in that case, I, I'm absolutely in support of it, you know, um, to continuously co- collaborate on a piece with different people and explore every little crevice of the piece. Like, oh, that's like, you know, gold for, for an actor. We love that. <laughs> sure. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right, now we're back. Uh, I guess, well, as an actor, though, as a, as a professional who's doing this to earn a living, is it, I mean, the year-long contract, obviously, would probably give you much better be- peace of mind than a four-month or a six-month contract or whatnot. And so right. how, how does the business side of this play out? Well, you know, I mean, it's like, and, and I think that this also goes into, um, you know, my my whole journey to where I've been because I am a mom and I'm a single mom. It's like, okay, I got to work. And yes, yeah, so this I would love to do this project and it's heading to Broadway and it's this, this and that. But like, you know, I got to take this other job or even like I got to go take this regional job because it pays what I need to make. And I can't make nothing in the reading workshop situation right now because that's not an option for me. So those are some of the limitations that like, I personally just feel as a single mom, but like we we all love a steady paycheck. Um, balancing your job as a Broadway performer, I think is really hard when it's also like, you just have to be a smart parent and say, well, what does my family need right now? Um, those are two different things. Some people <clears throat> have the luxury of not having to, to like, you know, Venn diagram those two things and to just do what they love. And and some people are in the complete opposite place where it's like, no, I just got to, I don't even, I'm not even going to do theater because I'm just going to do commercials and I'm going to do this, this and that because that is what my career is now. And and it's just different for everybody. I, I think that I fall somewhere in between, um, but like everything comes with with the balancing act of saying, does this work for me as a as a job? Not like, an opportunity or this amazing, right. luckily, you know, New, New York things for me. It, it, that's what, where I want to be. That's what I want to do. I don't, I don't like leaving my kids. You know, we talked the last time I was on tour and I was like, oh, I haven't seen them in months. Yeah, legitimately um, a year long tour. <clears throat> you have 13 months, yeah. a little over a year. <laughs> yeah, where you have, your kids are not like 18 where they can just be on their own. They, they no, still need no. supervision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough. So I mean, then, you know, working all of that into that, working childcare, what kind of hours here? It's a it's a complicated puzzle. But something like this also, it's just like, 
I don't, I didn't care how long the contract was. My answer was going to be yes. You know, like this, there were so many reasons why this was such an amazing opportunity for me mm -hmm. particularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were saying when you were, uh, that when you were younger, that people like treated you as older, right. And you didn't have that, I guess, ingenue spirit, that ingenue energy of being like the bubbly, <laughs> right. That I, yeah. <laughs> that I would cast as like, you're st we're going again, stereotypical tropey ingenue. Um, right. But but now, are you uh, coming off of thirteen months as Connor's mom, and now Mama Morton is a is a matronly figure? You're taking care of your your cell block, right? Yeah. And so is this something that you enjoy getting into now? Of course, yeah. I love it. Um, but you know, I have to say, I had this I had this agent when I was in my I guess like younger to mid twenties, who I, I I had you know kept missing out on a couple things and I was just kind of bummed and then I got I got pregnant when I was 26 and I I was so afraid of telling my agent and I told her and she said oh great that's great that's perfect timing and I was like what what are you talking about and she said oh honey like I'm here for the long run with you I'm I'm here to see what you're gonna do in in your 30s and your 40s wow. like so she said, if you want another one, do it right away. Get it out of the way. And then you can actually have the career that probably people in this industry see you having. I didn't quite understand that at that age. And I think I'm experiencing exactly what she was talking about. You know, I kind of, I guess I took her advice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because Jack is two years younger than Annabelle. And, 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 and that's sort of what I did with my 20s. I, I became a mom and I started my family and laid this foundation. And I I think that I'm now able to use so much of my uh, experience as a mom in these roles that I'm being cast in. And I, I think to myself, oh, so that's where I was supposed to be going, you know? Um, I love I love these roles. I loved I loved being Cynthia. And I, I thought she she gets kind of a bad rap in that show. But I I really just found so much in the character and especially being away from the kids, you know, and playing a mom of a girl and a boy, mm -hmm. um, just so much to relate to. And, and on here, you know, mom Morton doesn't have kids, but she does, she does run a tight ship and mm -hmm. that's what I do at home, you know? And it's like, she's got to be on it. She's got to, even if she doesn't know what she's doing, she has to appear like she does. She has to diffuse situations. It's just like, you know, 7 a.m. getting ready for school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, questionable moral moral values of Mama Morton, but still, like, she wants everything to run and she wants her girls to be taken care of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we all, listen, uh, as parents too, we all are put in those positions where we have to make a decision. Sometimes we make the wrong one and Oftentimes. you got to stand, you got to stand Oftentimes by it. <laughs> we make the wrong one. Like, yep. Nope. I said the wrong thing, but don't second guess me now. Children. <laughs> don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. But you said, I know what I said. Now I'm saying it differently. Get over it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> my kids, I think we were talking about this after the show the other night. Yeah. My kids are, are second and third grade now. And especially my third grader is just like, Dad, what you said doesn't make sense to me because logically, <laughs> like, it's not going to be beneficial for all of us. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> where are you coming from, man? Right, right. Oh my gosh, yeah. The things, the <sighs> things that they must tell each other at school that we said they all cross reference and then they call out the ones who are faking it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, then my younger one, he's just like he's second grade, very young. He's I think he's the youngest one in his class too. So, which is a big deal in second grade. And uh, his mentality is, is I got hit in the balls. <laughs> so, oh my God. So that's, that's the difference in, they're 20 <clears throat> months apart, but it's a big, it's a big 20 months in second and yeah. third grade right now. Okay. Um, let's transition into three closing questions. I like to ask on my little solo pod here that I ask everybody. The first one very simply is just motivates you. Oh, like, I don't really need to come up with much because I just like such a musical theater nerd. I, I love it. I love everything about it. I always have. I, I can fall in love with any piece, which is, you know, obviously a double-edged yep. sword, but I, I just love, I love going into like, if I'm reading a new script or something, just visualizing everything, looking at all the material and saying like, where can you go with this? It's just like what I was saying before. It's just like the gold. And 
I don't know what motivates me like <laughs> this. It all motivates me. Just like getting, being material. Material motivates me. I love getting my hands on new material. Even if it's just aside for an audition, it's like, it just piques my interest. I'm always so curious about it. How did somebody come up with this? And who came up with it? Who collaborated? And, you know, I love like just looking at the whole creative team and then looking at the material and like hypothesizing how it all came to be. Mm -hmm. It's just, I used to... um I love casting. I love like in the end looking at who people chose for what and thinking why. I used to sit in in like my sixth grade French class completely spaced out and like would choose a show and write down all of the um, characters in the show and then try to cast the show from who was in, cl in class <laughs> with me. That was like... <laughs> That was like my version of misbehaving. That's what I did in class when I was when I was checking out. But yeah, new material. It's always so fun to see. So the teacher intercepts the note you're trying to pass to your friend, and they're like, "What is this? We're gonna <laughs> read it out like, loud." Timmy has bye bye yeah, bye bye pretty Dreamcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that was for sure. Um, oh, that's, <laughs> I love that's it. Funny. Yep. I get it because I I didn't dreamcast, but I would dream sing. I was I was zoning out. Yeah, I, lo oh, I love uh, that. <laughs> okay, the other next question: What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Mm, you know, I think that that was also a question in that um, Playbill article. I don't know if I made it into that uh, uh, edited version, but let yourself be you, and because I feel like I was always trying to fit myself into a box that already existed mm -hmm. and I'm at this I'm experiencing something I never thought I would experience which is the permission and the encouragement to create my own box and and I I wish that I sort of knew that that's where I was gonna end up late uh, earlier I wish I knew that earlier so that I could have maybe explored a little bit of like who I was rather than trying to be something all the time. So I'm seeing that in a lot of younger kids today, and I'm really happy to see that in my students and in the younger performers that I get to work with. And yeah, that's when I get a little jealous. I'm like, oh, I wish I, I wish I was that age now so that I was a little more encouraged to be myself. I think you'd make uh, a really good Mary Jane Healy in Jagged. Ooh, uh, thank you. you. <laughs> I yeah. did. Oh gosh, I mean Elizabeth Stanley, phenomenal. I I can see oh, amazing, I can see you really easily. And Heidi, I would love to see uh, her version. I saw Heidi too. too. Yeah, I saw it twice. You yeah, did. I saw them both. Oh, was, I would. Oh. I would have loved to see yeah. her. Yeah, they were both just um, phenomenal. But yeah, you could nail that. You would nail that. Great character. Well, like that that kind of thing. I I remember seeing that and thinking to myself like all the things about that character that aren't in the script, you know? And I just start coming, that's the stuff that is, oh, mm, mm. yeah, right. what a great, what a great character. But thank you, <laughs> okay, I appreciate well, that. Last question. <laughs> Somebody listening, that's cast right. me. <laughs> last question then, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you say? Oh God. <laughs> Does it have to be currently running right now? No, no, any show. Oh, <sighs> That's a really hard question. I only I, ask the hard-hitting questions here. I know. You know, I'll say that, like, you know, we all as kids had those shows that changed. You know, Chicago was one of them. Um, but those movie musicals, before I started seeing live theater, um, I was really, really obsessed with the movie musicals. And the one that I I watched all the time, too, that, that I've been, I kind of have come back to and I'm listening to a lot now, um, is Music Man. I love mm. Music Man. And I didn't see this last version because, you know, I was on tour. I just think that, like, you know, I know it won the Tony the year that it came out. And I keep thinking to myself, like, what that must have been like to have a musical come out like that at that time. Sort of like Hamilton, you know? I mean, it's like it's like this this industry-changing musical. And there's so, so good in so many ways um, and so many opportunities to like keep reinventing it so i don't know that was just kind of at the at the forefront of my mind today but um i could i could think of probably 10 more it's funny <laughs> you say that they, they when i was a kid too uh the vhs tapes i watched over and over again were west side story singing in the rain and music man yeah yeah, yeah. mine were west side story music man and sound of music yeah yeah i never got into sound of music 
That was like, I was really young, but I only, I usually only watched VHS one. It was a double VHS, you know? Um, (laughs) Right. It's a long one. It's a long one. And the second act has like the wedding and the Nazis and things that like a three-year-old maybe doesn't think are the most interesting things in the world. Um, (laughs) Which, oh, to that point, real quick, I also, I want to go back to Chicago for a second because you like, you love Chicago as a, as a kid, but that's not very appropriate for a kid. No, but I was in seventh grade. So, so like, you're, start, you're starting to explore that side. Yeah, that yeah. was that was a little bit of like, ooh, like when we all got our hands on Rent and it was like, oh, I don't want my mom to really hear what I'm listening to. It's just a musical. It's just a musical. Like, but it was the, it was, you know, I was, I definitely knew I was listening to something I probably shouldn't be listening to. Maybe that was part of the fun. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's great. All right. Where can we find you on social media? I'm at the Lily Thomas on Instagram. And yeah, that's I, I'm kind of like a one a one social. I, I've got the, the, the mind space for one social media platform. <laughs> Me too, which is a problem because I have many, many more. Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram and threads and TikTok and Facebook and I, I'm horrible at all of them. So uh, I'm so sorry. I know, like, I'll, open, I'll open Facebook and I'll, I'll have 10 messages from long, you know, family members. I'm like, oh, this is why I keep this is to keep in touch with the family. Um, but I'm, I'm not good about keeping up with it. No, I'm not good at keeping up with the Kardashians or Facebook. Um, either way. Um, yeah, so wherever you're listening now, leave your rating and a review of the podcast. Find me online. Find Lily online. Thanks to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Lily, thank you for, for chatting again. I oh, always love talking to you. So good to talk to you, too. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.